<laughs> like, are we allowed to talk? I'm glad you're having a good morning. Um, many of you know that when I was a teenager, growing up through high school, I, I uh, had this great job that I enjoyed so much at this grocery store called Foodland. And let me tell you, Foodland was a dude land. And I just have so many memories of this place. One in particular is there's this guy that I worked with, and I called him Problem Child. And I called him Problem Child because he guessed it. This guy's a big, huge problem. And uh, Problem Child was legendary. I could write a book about the things Problem Child did. Left the back door open. The cat got in, uh, running around in the, the back room. That was a big fiasco. He used to go to the meat department, get the super sharp knives the butchers used, take them into the storage room, throw them like ninja stars at the toilet paper, see if he could get them to stick in. He, I could go on and on. He broke the back door because he, he pulled the chain down so hard, it w- put all his weight on it, hooked it on, so the next guy would have a big surprise and snap the thing off of the, off of the rollers, on and on and on. And the thing with Problem Child was Problem Child was looking for uh, people to join him in the fun. And uh, he wanted to be formative, you know a formative influence in people's lives. And uh, he wasn't, because we could see the problem child was a big, huge problem. But he was for this one guy who we called Slim Jim. Slim Jim, uh, that's actually short for his full name, which was Slim Jim, Billy Bulbob Jim. And Jim's real name, you guessed it, was Stephen. And <laughs> Slim Jim did, was actually influenced by problem child. And... Uh, Loads of stories there, but one in particular comes to my mind is every once in a while when the bread gets stale and you got to move it to the back room and, and do your returns with the company. Uh, um, uh, he, Problem Child decided to have a football game with a stale loaf of bread, and we're like, we're out of here. This is not going to go well. And, uh, but Slim Jim was in, so Problem Child and Slim Jim had a football game with a stale loaf of bread, and the manager walked back, and, and you guessed it, uh, shortly thereafter, Problem Child was no more. Um, he was sent to the office where there was uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I say all this because when you fast forward to um, adult life, you go into your careers and you find, lo and behold, that there's problem child there. Culture killers, people that have meetings after the meeting and they want to rally people to their cause. It's divisive. It's like they have some sort of a, they get a high off of drama or they yet some sort of dark pleasure when things crash and burn and they love seeing things. Sometimes you encounter that. Sometimes it's church. There's problem child in church and problem child uh, has has, uh, been around long enough to see the deficiencies in the preacher, which really shouldn't take longer than one or two Sundays. And uh, there's a problem child wants to rally people to their cause or perhaps uh, get some sort of a dark pleasure off of creating drama in the... I mean, problem child. But not only that, is if we sit down and we're really honest and we get climbed down off of our high horses, we will see that we have the capacity to be problem child, that all of us at one point in some way have been problem child. And as we uh, look to God's word this morning, we're going to come to Proverbs chapter 13. And in Proverbs chapter 13, we are given a very thought-provoking teaching, asking us to consider who is formative in our lives, asking us to thoughtfully consider who we listen to, who we walk with, and who we become like. 
because I'm not the only preacher in your life. Everybody's a preacher. Everybody's religious. That's what I mean by that. When I say religious, I mean, maybe you're here today and you're a person of non-faith or you're thoughtfully considering Christian faith and you're like, listen, I'm in this journey exploring faith, so what do you mean everybody's religious? What I mean is everybody wakes up in the morning and says life is about this and I'm going to circle and orient all of my attention, my time, my money, my energy, my affections are going to orbit around this thing that I say life is all about. And I don't, it doesn't matter what it is, but it's that, and that is, uh, at the core, religious, to wake up and methodically and systematically arrange your life around something as central. And everybody's a preacher. And what I mean by that is that everybody is essentially communicating, uh, to use today's, uh, you know, if I was to use an idiom, popular idiom today, everybody's saying, um, speak your truth. Well, what is speaking your truth if not preaching? Right. And so the world in which we live is like that. And maybe you're saying, well, Paul, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a people person. I don't have a lot of people in my life, so I don't have those kind of formative influences. I like to spend as much time not around people as possible. You still have preachers in your life. It could be the podcasts or the social media or the, the books that you're reading or that show you're binging. It doesn't matter what it is. Everybody's preaching. Everybody's storytelling. Everybody is writing a narrative, living a life in accordance to that narrative. Everyone is doing it in some way. And so what the book of Proverbs, in particular chapter 13, is asking us to do is to consider who are those that are closest in our lives um, that are formative, Proverbs chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. This is God's word. As we look at this text this morning, we're going to ask three questions. First, what does it look like to walk with the wise? Secondly, what does it look like to be the companion of fools? And then thirdly, how does this text invite us to marvel at the gospel and encourage us to be ministers of the gospel? This word gospel, for those of you new to church, new to the scriptures, considering Christian faith, this word gospel is a Greek word, evangelion. It means good news. It meant somebody would a herald would show up and proclaim good news. That's what we mean by gospel. Now, this verse that I just read here is not the gospel. This verse that I just read in all of Proverbs, for that matter, is how we as children of grace live in light of the gospel. The good news is what Christ has done for you. This text in all wisdom literature is inviting us to consider how we will live now not because we have to earn something because of what Jesus did, but in light of the grace of what, of what Christ has done. That is what we mean by, by gospel. So I just wanted to mention that for those of you who may be uh, considering how do we grapple with this text in all wisdom literature. So first of all, what does it look like to walk with the wise? Well, walking in someone's ways is a strong theme in Scripture because... Um, that's what discipleship and mentorship looked like in the, not only the ancient world, but in many cultures today. It's to walk alongside uh, with something. In uh, ancient Hebrew education and, uh, and in much uh, 
Again, uh, many cultures today, the very first form of their education is memorization. And after the first kind of school, which is strictly memorization, the next school was applying what you memorized. And so there was a saying that they had in the culture uh, in which uh, those who we read in the scriptures grew up in. And the saying in the New Testament was to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now, to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, what, is, what, is it, what does that mean? It was a common phrase that they used. It meant you're following your teacher so closely. You're desiring a sense of imitation so closely, he's actually kicking up the dust as he walks through the dusty roads. He's kicking his dust up on you. You're following him that closely. You're covered in the dust of your rabbi. And so to, to kind of consider these things in light of this scripture, which says, whoever walks with the wise will become wise. This is not a, a casual relationship when you kind of hang out with them. This is not a casual once a year happy birthday text with a few emojis. I mean, this is a, this is a, a, a closeness where you are being formed by this person uh, because you've got a goal of becoming like them. Now, if you think about Jesus and how he re, uh, ministered, what his relationships were like with his disciples, it was very much this walking, you know, walking with and walking through life um, that, you, that you saw Jesus doing with the disciples. Now, in the book of Proverbs, we've already read many times in this study that wisdom begins with the wonder and the worship of God. That's where it begins. This is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. It is the wonder and the worship of God, right? The, the old English says it is this fear of God, not a terror like you're afraid of him, but this sense of radical awe that has an impression on you. It's formative. So if that's where wisdom begins, right, then walking with the wise is walking through life with a very intentional and meaningful relationships with people in your lives who wonder and worship God. These are people who's like, I, I, I desire very much the formative influence in life because they wonder, they have a wonder of God, they marvel at God, and they're celebrating the grace of God, they're desiring to be led by the wisdom of God, and so uh, we walk very closely with these kinds of people, desiring, and not in a weird idolatrous sort of a way, as this person is my life coach and mentor and I want to be like them, so I'm going to start doing my hair like them, weirdly, but it's that you're walking with them because of their marvel at the grace of Jesus, and you very much want that in your life. So as you consider this, the beginning of the wisdom working this way, we, as the church, as the children of God, were brought into community. Susan touched on this earlier. She was talking about uh, what we're doing, you know, here at, at Redeemer to kind of serve and love and care for one another, is we're in this community of people who wonder and worship a God, and it's true that in every church, including this one, there's varying degrees of maturity and varying degrees of, of wisdom uh, in this church and in every church in terms of those who are uh, loving God, marveling at his grace, desiring to be formed by his grace, and so diving deeply into his scriptures to know them. Because how is it that you can be, how is it that you grow in your wisdom of God? By his spirit and his word working together. That's how God's always done it. That's how he does it today. And it's been working out pretty good so far. Right? It's always his spirit and his word working together. Not separately and apart. Right? So it's always terrifying when you talk with people who really have no desire for God's word or the Bible or doctrine or teaching. And they don't study the scriptures or know the scriptures, but they're convinced that they hear the spirit all the time. Right? That is scary. 
right? Because lots of people have gone into caves and come out of them and said, God told me this, right? So how is it we grow in the wisdom of God? The Spirit of God who indwells you and the Word of God which faithfully guides you together, always together. So we consider uh, for a moment that, um, that this is slow going, right? Think of Jesus and his disciples. That was some slow going, in terms of their walking and their growth with him, it's slow going for me, it's slow going for you, it's slow going, it's ongoing. Um, Now, Hebrew scholars agree when they look at this uh, text and you pull it out in the Hebrew, and I lean on these scholars because I'm not a scholar uh, in the Hebrew language, but they all agree that the immediate context is this verse is is, uh, just quite obvious. The immediate context is godly ethics, right? You want godly ethics in your life. You want to walk along life with other people who share the same ethics and encouraging ethics. Okay, well, that's, that, that's true. But there's a broader, uh, uh, as you meditate on the proverb, which we, we desire to, there's a broader implication, which we're going to get to uh, a little bit later, in terms of this desire to walk in wisdom and what fuels it. Um, when we think about discipleship and walking in wisdom and side by side, what does it look like here practically for us at Redeemer? Right? When you think about um, things like Bible studies and getting together, whether you're getting together in people's homes, whether you're uh, getting together for the lecture series that we do or book studies that we've offered or the theology at the symposium we did a couple of years ago where we talk, you know, talked about apologetics and sharing our faith, all these things. These are intellectual things. That's, that's really only one side of it. The reason why we offer these lunches once a month, connect, connect, connect. The reason why we're saying that, not to guilt you and make you feel obligated you know, in ter- terms of of, uh, you know, uh, uh, feeling guilty if you're not able to uh, connect with the things we put on the calendar, but because in our hearts, if we are desiring to walk in the wisdom of God, then we want to, we must have, and we must desire to have people around us so that we can apply uh, the Word of God practically in our lives. And when you're having lunch casually at somebody's house on a Sunday, and you're talking about life and parenting or marriage, or perhaps you're a single person and you're uh, happily single and you're not, you know, you're you're not pursuing a romance, but you're just navigating the challenges that come with being a single uh, professional who has. Uh, who has uh, the ability to decide, what am I going to do with my time? Where am I going to divide my energy? How will I use my gifts for the glory of God, ministry of God? That's when all of a sudden the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the scriptures gets on the ground. And we begin to learn to grow in wisdom. So that's why we encourage in that way. Um, But yes, there's the intellectual side of Bible study and things that we always have. But there's this uh, communal side that was very much always a part of discipleship. Walking with the wise so that you can become wise. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, wow, Paul, this all sounds really great, but I don't have any relationships like that in my life. Well, if, you'll, if you will indulge me as I do sermon inception and, pro- and there's a Proverbs within a proverb. <laughs> but once, one side of this, of course, is being a community, community that desires it and facilitates it, right? We want to be loving and warm and caring. We hope that if somebody walks in the doors and they don't know anybody, there's a hundred of us, hopefully someone will notice and we'll be like, hey, let me be warm and generous and welcoming to this person. So on one side of it, we want to be a missional church where we um, are warm and caring and are willing to give of our own time and our lives to people. So that's one side. Here's the other side. Proverbs 18 says, he who has friends must show himself friendly. So the other side of it is, it doesn't matter um, how warm and engaging the church desires to be if fundamentally at the end of the day, what you grapple with is... You know, my plan for life and relationships is to sit over here, reach out to nobody, hope, you know, hope someone reaches out and I have a friend. 
if that's your strategy for life, Proverbs says that's not going to go well for you. And now, I'm not giving that to you as uh, uh, to crush you. I'm giving, I'm giving you that to provoke you in the same tone of this text as it provokes you to say, wow, I must desire to, if I'm going to walk with the wise to be wise, then, oh Lord, would you show me my heart by your grace so that I can see um, uh, what it is that perhaps are hurdles for me in actually pursuing this and doing this. Would you, by your grace, continue the healing work that you've begun? Open my eyes to why I have, for whatever reason, chosen to live quite isolated so that I can now reorient myself and enjoy the gift and the blessing that comes with walking with the wise so that I can become wise. So that's what it looks like, practically speaking, to walk, walk with the wise. This, this, um, this uh, very intentional, meaningful connection with people who celebrate the grace of God. They desire to be led by the wisdom of God. And you, saved by the grace of God, desire to be led by the wisdom of God and have those people in your, speaking into your life in a meaningful way. So what does it look like to be the companion of fools? The text says, whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Well, if what Proverbs is saying is that a wise person is a person who lives with a sense of wonder and worship to God, a fool is a person who has no regard for God. They don't wonder at God. They don't worship God. They have really ultimately no desire for God. And I want to be very clear here and very careful. This does not mean that we as a church don't have meaningful relationships with people who don't love God. Right? Jesus spent a lot of time, an inordinate amount of time, with people who did not love God. Jesus was accused of being a drunk and a sinner because he was fellowshipping with people all the time who didn't love God. But Jesus wasn't needy, looking for acceptance and validation. Jesus wasn't adopting the philosophies of those who didn't love God. Jesus wasn't having his ethics and his actions formed by those who didn't love God. Jesus was constantly giving himself very generously to those who didn't love God. He was in relationship with them. And it was meaningful relationship. It wasn't just kind of casual. Jesus was just like, hey, how's it going? Arm's length, please. I'm holy. You're filthy. Know your place. That's not what it looked like at all. In, in, in the Greek, the, the language of Jesus fellowshipping with the sinners was that he was reclining at their table, which was a way in the ancient culture of they weren't sitting at tables like, like, like this in, in most homes. They were like laying down, reclining on one elbow with food in the middle, and just kind of grazing, enjoying this food. People are like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Give me some of that fellowship. That's what it looked like, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus is down on the ground, leaning on his elbow. There's a huge, massive platter of... of uh, food in the center, and he's just, he's there for hours enjoying their company. So I just want to be really clear about what it means to be the companion of fools. It's to have these folks who have no regard for God, no love for God, no desire for God, formative in our lives as it relates to our ethics and uh, the way that we, we think and view the world, because that should be formed by the wisdom of God. The love of God and the wisdom of God. So, this is also not about seeing ourselves better than the culture. Leaving here, KW, you know, leaving Redeemer, 
you know, on a super high self-righteous horse going, oh man, what a great sermon today. Am I ever better than all these people? No, that's, the, that's not at all uh, uh, the vibe of this text. It's, it's not about being, living in self-righteousness to the culture. This is about not being discipled by the culture. Because like we said earlier, everyone's religious in some way. Everyone's a preacher in some way, right? Verse 21 here says that disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. And I want to draw your, some, your attention to something. It says disaster pursues. In the Hebrew language, it's inviting us, it's personifying disaster. Disaster is now a supervillain. Disaster, disaster has been personified. And, the, and everybody, Hebrew is an imaginative language. It's inviting you to imagine things. So the picture is you're being chased down by disaster. Okay, that's what it wants you to see. Because the, the very next line that says that and the righteous are rewarded with good, uh, again, if you go back to Hebrew, it could also be translated saying prosperity pursues the righteous. So the image here is we're all going through life pursued by something. We're being chased. We're either being chased by the goodness and the blessing and the prosperity of God or being hunted by disaster. But either way, we're being chased. This is an image. We're supposed to, we're not, this isn't a fortune cookie that we get in 30 seconds and go on with our lives. We're supposed to really sit down and, and meditate on what does this mean? What could this mean? If, if disaster is personified, right? It's not just a, a circumstance that's a disaster. It's, it's like we think we're fine. We're the companion of fools. We're being discipled by the culture. The way that we relate to life and ethics is being formed by those who could really give a fly and rip about God, but they're the biggest voices in our life. And uh, then disaster is waiting in the bushes for us. It's like a scene out of uh, Jurassic Park with the raptors. <laughs> Clever girl. I know, I didn't see that coming. And this is what this is inviting us to consider. And at the first, you know, the surface reading, it seems like pretty simple matter-of-fact commentary on morality, right? Ah, be a good person and get good things. Be a bad person and bad things happen to you. Simple. Christian karma, right? That's all this is, isn't it? Now, hold on a second. But before we take this word prosperity and we ram it through a modern geographic lens, what does prosperity mean for the Christians today in Syria? Because this verse still applies to them. Sometimes as North Americans, we tend to read the Bible with like an asterisk. And we kind of think of everything the way we have. But what does this verse mean for the Christians in North Korea today? China. What does it mean? Now, I was telling somebody uh, just this last week, I was having a meeting with them, and I was saying how I met a guy when Susan and I were in Colombia, and he was a volunteer at a church, and they would go into this community, and they would invite kids out to the youth program. And he was out in the community. While he was out in the community, he got shot in the stomach, by the gorilla because they mistook him for someone else and he went to the hospital and after he got to the hospital he went back out and was inviting kids to the youth program <laughs> what what does prosperity mean for christians who can get shot in the stomach because they're out in the community inviting kids to a youth program what does this mean 
if we're, being, if we're being chased down by disaster or blessing. And what does it mean if you're walking with the wise and you love God and you wonder at God and you worship God and we come here week in and week out to, week in and week out to marvel at the grace of Jesus? And as we do all that, our life still feels like a disaster. You see, as a modern reader, we look at this and we go, I just found a contradiction in the Bible because the Bible seems to be seeing that if you do good things, good things happen. If you have bad things, bad things happen to you. I am a good person doing good things and bad things happen to me. Ergo, God must not be real. Now, hold on a minute. Again, I want to remind you of how we ought to understand Proverbs. This is each individual proverb. This is a specific teaching on one aspect of how life works. But if you read 31 chapters of Proverbs, here's what you're going to recognize you're going to recognize that disaster can come two different ways. Disaster can come as a result of the foolishness, the sinfulness, the naivety inside you, which is what this particular verse is about. And disaster can come not as a result of that, but as a result of the brokenness, the fallenness, and the sinful choices of others outside you. This specific scripture instructs the children of God to align with the wisdom of God so that we don't suffer from disaster brought on by the sinful foolishness inside us. But the broader teaching of the scripture promises the children of God that we can have his strengthening grace when we experience disaster brought on by the brokenness of the world that is around us. Maybe you're here today and there's an aspect of your life that feels like it's a disaster. And maybe if you're honest, you'll be able to confess, and maybe you did confess this morning in confession, that it was your naivety, your sinfulness, that caused that disaster. And if that's you, there is God's grace. God's grace that forgives and covers all your sin, and God's, that same grace that teaches you to turn from your sin. That's Titus chapter 2. And maybe you're here today, and there's an aspect of your life that feels like a disaster. It is a disaster, but it wasn't brought on by you. It wasn't because of a naive choice that you made. Maybe you're here, and there's an aspect of your life that's a disaster, not because of you, but because of the brokenness of this world around you. And for that, God offers you his strengthening, uplifting, comforting grace. For that disaster, he offers you grace that is perfect in weakness. And that's 1 Corinthians 12. So that's what it looks like for us to walk in Walk with the wise and desire to become wise and be the companion of fools. But last thing we want to ask this text is, how does this invite us to marvel at the gospel? How does this encourage us as ministers of the gospel? So, again, this will be a review for many of you. But for those of you exploring Christian faith, for those of you new to the scriptures, here's what you need to know. If I stopped the sermon here and we left... What you would have just heard was a faithful exegesis of that proverb. I gave you a little bit of Hebrew. We blew the thing out. We walked through it. This is what it means. Here's how we're supposed to live ethical lives. We're supposed to love God, love Jesus, and walk in his ways. All of that is true. And if we left, then that would be faithful teaching of how to understand that. But you wouldn't be particularly encouraged. And here's why. It's what I said at the beginning of the sermon. 
If I stop the sermon right here and we go home, that was a faithful and true teaching I just gave you. But there's no good news. And what's the job of the preacher on Sunday morning? Some of you think it's to give ethical, great, moral teaching and give you, you know, wise guidance from the scriptures and go home. It is, but that's not all. It's to proclaim the good news. And the way to understand all scripture, including wisdom literature, all scripture is through the lens of the cross, the lens of Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 24 on the Emmaus Road, you're not even going to understand the scripture unless you understand it through me. Because it's all about me. So here is how we look at this. This text we just read, it says that disaster pursues sinners. Well, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus died for sinners. The gospel actually announces that the reason Jesus came is because we are all sinners. We all deserve disaster. But Jesus Christ has rescued you, church, from the ultimate eternal disaster. You say, oh man, my life is a disaster. Well, there's a bigger, unavoidable, eternal disaster that science has not figured out how to stop. And regardless of your worldview today, it's coming for all of us. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come to inter interrupt the trajectory of this disaster that pursues sinners. The worst thing that can happen to anybody is the finality of death. And what has Jesus Christ come to take away from sinners? The finality of death. His perfect life, he lived the perfect life that we're not living. He lived the perfect wisdom that we're not living. And he died a sacrificial death for you and I. Because we don't walk this out perfectly. And that's the standard. He did it. And he rose again on the third day. And he ascended and he rules and he reigns over his church. And he rules and reigns over our hearts and our lives. Through the wise guidance of his scripture. He's the head of the church, not the preacher. He's the head of the church, not you. And so we marvel at the fact that Jesus Christ has come, and by his grace, he's removed the disaster that's pursuing the sinners. This text says the righteous are rewarded with good. Only Jesus is righteous. In and of ourselves, we're not righteous. You know, by grace, united to him, God calls us righteous. Jesus was right, righteous by nature. We're called righteous by grace. And this text says, the righteous will be rewarded with good. And in the end, church, you will be rewarded with good because you are united to the only one who by God's standard was good. And the, this eternal truth, it's got day-to-day -day implications because it causes us to walk very humbly because we know that God considers us righteous by grace, so we go out those doors and we minister this week, we minister this gospel confidently because we know that God will draw others and he will draw them to his love and he will declare that they are righteous by his grace. Jesus did not commission his church so that we could gather here as a community and then hide from the greater community. He calls us into the rest and the renewal of his grace in this community so we can go out into the greater community. We can be ministers of his love and his grace, do justice and mercy, and walk very, very humbly with our God. The only reason that we call God Father is by grace. And wisdom is slipping our little feet into our daddy's shoes and clumping around so we can imitate him. 
in a desire to imitate the one who saved us in grace. And we become wise by walking with those who marvel at the grace of Christ and endeavor to live in imitation of the grace of Christ. The righteous are rewarded with good. Good news, church. By grace and faith, you're united to the one who is righteous and good. And may we glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen.